0: Thanks for pressing play. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Paddy Talks Golf. I took a step back and I said, you know what? This intro is a little bit too professional for my liking, so I'm going to throw on some dodgy music under my dulcet tones and hopefully I don't get in too much trouble with it. Um, as ever, the show is brought to you thanks to Seat Seed Golf Pods, who deliver you affordable to a performance, same performance at half the price, so check them out at www.seedgolf.com. And try them today They're having a great year And some great products Coming out soon On this week's episode It's a doozy It's one of my favourites Had a great chat With a man from Dubai Who grew up playing golf In County Mead Here in Ireland uh, He's a very well respected teacher And uh, spent some time under Justin Parsons He's the current Director of Instruction At the Claude Harmon Performance Golf Academy In Dubai Ladies and gentlemen It's Jamie McConnell George Raleigh told us The production line Was finished in Kerry Dude, it up? On this week's show, we have a man who hails from the Royal County and is a full-time coach at the Claude Harmon Golf Academy in Dubai, Jamie McConnell. Welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Sure, no panic. So so what, what is a mead man doing in Dubai, aside from melting? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I got melted at the weekend, that's for sure. Um, I suppose just teaching away, teaching, uh, teaching a game that I fell in love with as a kid. Um, I ended up over here. I suppose, coincidentally, in a in a number of ways, after after traveling around a bit, and um, yeah, I just kind of fell in love with here, and I've been here for about seven, just over seven years now. So time flies when you're having fun.
0: So you have acclimatized, I suppose, at this stage. So if you're I fell in love with the game the kid, what, what is your earliest memory of golf then, Jamie?
1: I think my youngest memory of golf is probably as about six years old, and my grandmother brought me on holiday to to Gory, and uh, I probably played crazy golf at Pirate's Cove and that was probably my very first golf memory. I think going on from that it was Pitch and Putt at Beachman Pitch and Putt which was around the corner from where I lived and then eventually when Nav and Driving Range opened up I, I kind of went down there and then got dragged out by a, a wonderful junior committee who, who kind of allowed me on the golf course despite some of the rules that were on the golf course at uh, about nine years old. Um and I basically played from there. I just fell in love with it straight away. Just every every step of the way I came across I suppose really good people, you know, from the junior convener, Donald Garrity, who ran ran it from day one to, you know, my first pro who was um fantastic at the club, Emmanuel Ribley. And, you know, we just had some great times at that club. It was uh it wasn't the fanciest club in the world, you know, it started out as nine holes, but you know, it was a real I suppose a real culture for us to to grow up in.
0: Sounds very nice. Sounds very nice indeed. So at what level? Because there's a big ball game in Meads um that would have been a good a good team back in the early nineties. Um when when I suppose you'd been playing a bit a high level of golf. Did you ever play other sports, football or fishing or <laughs> I played, like I, played that? I played
1: I played a good bit, loads of hurling um growing up. Um I played a decent bit of football um unfortunately i was in the unenviable position at that time of uh, i was actually brought up a dublin supporter because my grandmother was uh, was a dub herself and she was the one who brought me to game so i ended up supporting dublin despite growing up amongst pretty much the entire current mead team um so i got uh, quite a bit of slagging back in the day when Mead were dominating dublin but um since then tables have kindly turned towards my favor and uh, yeah so i got to about 15 and basically it, it came down to a choice between hurling and golf. And um, yeah, golf, golf took the win, luckily enough.
0: Deadly. So so was there a compelling event or maybe you thought you were of a standard or basically a time or, or an event that encouraged you to make the decision to say, right, I, I'm turning pro here?
1: Um, do you know what? It, it was probably a lack of me playing amateur stuff. I, I grew up, um, there wasn't a lot of kids in our club. You know, a lot of our our local clubs, like Hedford and Tara, had some really good kids growing up in it, um, and we didn't really have that many. We had a couple, but they weren't really keen on traveling to any of the amateur events. And um, at the time, I was always terrified to ask my parents. Just never, always thought they were very busy with business and stuff like that. And you know, I never really wanted to to put them out. And um, so I ended up staying quite local. And I suppose when I turned eighteen, um, I had such a such a little attraction to the amateur side of the game it just seemed quite logical to to turn pro and go and play it was just literally as simple as that it just seemed like the easier option and you know if i was playing and winning money you know it just paid for the following week rather than me having to go and work Um so literally it ended up being you know 18 years old on my 18th birthday i uh i went over to i think it was beau desire in birmingham um, I turned pro my 18th birthday to play the Euro Pro qualifier um, with one of my best friends, Emmett Staunton, who is uh, who runs Head Golf Club at the moment. And uh, yeah, that was my uh, my baptism of fire was straight into the pro pro series and, and trying and learn how to swim from there.
0: And how long were you on that circuit then? That kind of Euro Pro. And...
1: I think I played Euro Pro in Jamaica
0: a few times for about two
1: years. Um realized I wasn't good enough realized I wasn't making any money then decided to turn the, to the PGA to try and learn how to to make some money tournament wise and play some golf Um I had no intentions of really teaching no intentions of working in a shop as uh, well I had to work in a shop a certain amount but as little as possible and it was purely to get into more local events that I could drive to and travel to Um I think my first year as an assistant I must have played 35 tournaments you get this card where you've got to play a minimum of 12 events and I think I ended up playing something like 35 rounds or something I had to ring them and ask them for a second card which was it was brilliant for me I loved it you know I loved traveling around and playing the pro Ams and you know just meeting some of the guys around the circuit and um again it was a, it was something that was brilliant for me I just got to learn off guys and see guys play and realize that I wasn't that good and you know you kind of you, you kind of get uh, get the heart end of the stick sometimes but I look back at it now and I wouldn't change it you know it's a, it's a lot of what's helped me get to where I am now
0: absolutely so like and maybe it's that kind of self-awareness that maybe some people just don't have like when you look back and Maybe it's the the case of cash wasn't coming in, but maybe aside from that, was renting that you were like like these guys like I'm not at the level here. Like what, what, what am I at? Was there was there a couple of weeks of that, or did it go up and down like other people? Or or what helped you make the decision where actually I'll go teaching because tour tour life isn't for me. I think it it
1: changed for me. I played in where did I play? I can't remember which golf course it was, but it was a Jamaica event, um, and I played for the guy i think it was matt selby and um basically in the in the event he's played with me i've I've played reasonably well i think i shot like one over two over i felt like i played all right and uh i'd come off the golf course my friend said to me because i had to zone so play and i said um, yeah he played okay he seemed to seem to play decent i hadn't really paid any attention to him because i wasn't marking his card you know he was steady enough in the fairways most of the time and you know, next thing I've walked, I walked out after having lunch, looked at the leaderboard, and sure enough, he was uh, top of the leaderboard. And uh, <laughs> I looked at it and thought seven under, and I kind of thought my way through the round and thought, yeah, he, he actually did shoot seven under, but it was one of those seven unders that it just it never really clocked in my head what he had shot. You know, it, it all seemed quite easy, like he, you know, he birdied all the par fives, at relatively easy chip and pots, and you know he had maybe hold one long pot, but nothing looked amazing nothing looked phenomenal it just looked steady all day I think that was the point where I realized you know he's made that look so easy I haven't passed a, a blind bit of notice and he shot seven under and he probably could have shot 10 Um, and I just wasn't at the at the races so you know that was where I, I kind of thought well let's look closer to home let's get a little bit of a job still still we're playing in mind I think after about two years of playing as an assistant, I suppose things started to progress and I started to fall in love with teaching side of things. And, and, uh, that just kind of ended up naturally taking over. I still played the whole way through my, my Pj degree. And I still love playing even now I love playing, but I just, I suppose I've, I've kind of put everything into teaching ever since that really.
0: So your time at Golf, and I see Golf as like the, the market leader, definitely this country, if not like, um, a structure to envision across Europe in terms of what they do, not only for tourism in this country, but also the kind of the support and the maintenance, the offer to, to golf course around the country, you know. Um, were you there supplementing um, your teaching practice or, or tour life or, or what stage did you spend with, with Caragolf then?
1: It, I had i had joined Caragolf probably in my second year when I was playing. So I had used it as a way of paying to play at the beginning. And um, I was purely working on the driving range. I was picking up golf balls in the Elm Green Golf Club in Dublin was my starting point. And I had begun, I think, at the end of that year as an assistant. So um, at that time, they had coincidentally taken over my home club, which was Navan Golf Club at the time, and asked me to move there as an assistant. And I got to work with a very good friend of mine, UC Pickenin. and UC has worked some amazing jobs over uh over his career as well um and he taught me a lot and i think you know i look back and car golf and, you know at the time it it seemed like one of the hardest jobs in the world you know they really they really push you and ed ed was my uh was the ceo at the time and, um you know ed really was a driver for work but you know i sent him an email actually a couple of weeks ago and just saying you know he what he gave me wasn't a job. He had given me an education himself. You know, he had put me through a lot of the stuff that really at the age I was where I was 1920, I probably didn't deserve to be put through. You know, I didn't deserve to run a pro shop or run a golf club at 21 years old. And, you know, for me, that was an education. And I think a lot of the stuff that I learned there, um, I actually turned into stuff that I can, I can use teaching wise, you know what I mean? Whether it be some of the marketing stuff they had done that helped me start up the trackman business to, you know, being able to structure accounts and look at profitability and you know to this day I still use almost all of the skills maybe in a different way but all the skills that I learned back in the days at uh, at Caragall
0: no they're definitely they're definitely especially in terms of marketing what they do around Warderville, a couple of times a year they're definitely something I try and copy and paste myself in terms of what I do the little, little bits of things that I do so um like I said, they're definitely a American leader there. So a meat man in Dubai, how did that happen? There's was definitely a good story there.
1: It, do you know what? A lot of coincidences. Um, believe it or not, I had actually gone for another job over here in a place called Sharjah, which is an emirate that's um, it's part of the UAE. Um, but a friend of mine was working over here, and the way it was described to me was effectively Sharjah is Dubai. Um, and I had applied for a job here. I would gotten the job, and I was all delighted with myself, and the guys who offered me the job had basically turned around to me and said, look, are you sure you want to come over? And I said, yeah, you know, would really like to come over, and at the time I was kind of working with a friend of mine, Ryan Donoher, and, um, you know, doing, some t- doing a lot of teaching. I was determined not to go back into a pro shop, so I was basically teaching and running uh, a business I would set up called the Trackman Roadshow. So I got the job, was ready to go, but the boys said, look, have a think about it for a week. And kind of the way they were saying it, I was like, there's something not right here. So eventually after a week of thinking about it, I just turned it down. They had effectively talked me out of it. Um, and I didn't think i of it. I just got on with things, kept teaching, kept working on the road show and things were going really well. And, uh, you know, I was getting picked up um, quite a bit by a few different golf clubs at that stage. So um, traveling across the country with my little track man in hand and I think my my previous boss, Justin Parsons, um, I think he had been speaking to some of the guys uh, with Trackman and my name had come up about one of the things that I had done in Ireland and um, I think two plus two and he had kind of spoken to Martin who had interviewed me for the other job and again he's just kind of seen my name come up a, a couple of different places and he needed an instructor and I basically got an email out of the blue one morning as I was on, on the way to, uh, to a gym class and he goes, is there any chance I could speak to you today? Uh, my assumption was that it was going to be something to do with TrackMan. Um, I said, yeah, no problem. I'm just going to the gym. I can call you in an hour if that suits. And he said, fine. Uh, and I picked up the phone, got on to JP and he basically just offered me a job on the spot. No interview, nothing. He said he had heard some things about me. He said, you know, would I like a job? And I didn't ask anything. I just said, yes and um, because Butch was always somebody that I wanted to work for I always had kind of his academy in Vegas in mind as as one of the places one of the dream places that I'd love to teach and one of the guys that I'd love to learn from I had met Butch before coincidentally in uh, I think it was 2001 or something like that uh, at an event that he had held in uh, Drew's Glen um, and I just fell in love with the family and their culture and everything he had done with Tiger and you know, it was just a dream come true job. So off I, off I up my bags to Dubai and um, pitched up here and just got teaching, really.
0: Can you describe, I suppose, so you were running your own business, the Trackman Tour, for a couple of years, two, three years, um, basically going around the golf clubs of Ireland, running clinics and teaching clinics, correct?
1: Yeah, I had I'd basically gone, when I had left Caragolf, I had gone to Spain for what was my, I suppose, full, first full-time teaching job. Um, I knew I wanted to teach. I went to work at a junior academy in Spain. I had a couple of unfortunate events happen to me with cars getting broken into and my passport got stolen and I had just a, a calamity of, you know, incidents happen to me that um, made me go, do you know what, don't want to live abroad, get me home. So I literally, I lasted about six months there and off I went back home and I had actually taken out, before I had gone to Spain, I had actually taken out a car loan to buy a Trackman. Um, so I spent about a thousand euro on the car and I think I spent 19,000 euro on the Trackman. And at that time, the Trackman 3 had just come out and nobody was using it to teach. Nobody really taught with it at that stage. And there was a couple of people in America beginning to use it for teaching, a couple of guys. And I thought, you know, you could you could set something very unique up here if you get good at it. So I had bought a TrackMan, started teaching with it, used it a bit in Spain while I was coaching over there. And when I came back, uh, all I knew was that I didn't want to go into a pro shop. I didn't want to work shop hours and I wanted to do something around teaching. So, you know, Ryan, who is one of my best friends, had set me up in Kilcock Golf Club and, you know, we used the range there to do my day-to-day teaching And I started to set up the roadshow. So because nobody had a TrackMan and everybody wanted to use one, I basically offered guys, you know, pros, the chance to rent the unit for a day. And I would come down with it and basically stay there. And if they wanted to use it themselves, they could use it. If they wanted me to give information to students, I could give them information. If they wanted to fit with it, they could fit with it. They could do whatever they want. I would stay for 12 hours a day and they would just pay a set fee and that was it. And uh, I think I did that six six to nine months. It was really going well. I was starting to get to twenty twenty five golf clubs a month, and you know I was kind of starting to come up with different ways of making it bigger, like maybe buying a second Trackman or this and that. And uh, then the call came in to to go to Dubai, and I just dropped sticks and, and left.
0: So the question would be based off that. So you're going around all the different golf clubs in Ireland, pretty much. Um,
1: I, was, I was getting around. <laughs>
0: Well, 25 a month by, you know, by month, by month, 10 or twelve you would have been at least two, each one at once. Yeah. Um. How, what was your first impression of the facility when you walked in the door?
1: It's, it's just, wow. Like it's for somebody coming from, you know, where I'm coming from and, you know, there's, there's some clubs in Ireland that have, you know, a lot of what we have, but, I think walking into it, what shocked me was the culture that was set up by Butch and Claude and Justin. Um, and it is just purely performance. It's, it's purely just get better. You know, the people who we want around the school are people who want to get better, whether that's Mary playing off 36 to, you know, we had Brooks Kepka there at the beginning of this year. And, you know, I think it's the culture that actually shocks you. It's like, it's, look, it's pretty as anything. You've got an amazing facility you've got three beautiful teaching days you've got a gym you've got pro and the short game area everything that dreams are made of for somebody practicing but i think when you when you spend time there i think you realize like okay almost any club can have this and there's other clubs in dubai with this but well, what actually stood out is the i suppose the amount of care and attention that goes into creating a culture around the the facility and it's a culture of improvement and you know, effectively the, I suppose when Justin left, the the biggest pressure that I had was trying to maintain that culture. You know, we, we don't really care about the numbers or the volume going through. We don't, you know, despite to our owners disgust, we don't really care about how much revenue we're doing a year in, in teaching. It's, it's all about, you know, I suppose the enjoyment that the players are getting coming here and then the improvement that they're seeing upon leaving. Um, and I suppose that's, that's really what, kind of makes I suppose our place stand out over a lot of others who might have all the bells and whistles but you know they never really get that culture and you know we're lucky enough to work with some amazing kids who who kind of get some some phenomenal results and it's it's just lovely to watch them.
0: Yeah we'll get on to what you're involved in junior golf and maybe about another man involved in junior golf in in St Andrews in a second but in terms of like that culture of of driving performance and it's something I'm big into myself but in my 9 to 5 or my 8.30 to 6.30 it is these days. Um, and my approach to my golf game is, you know, compartmentalize it, use excellent stats, try and get better, assess, but like, I'm not going to do it from YouTube. I'm going to do it via like a PGA certified. And then he might recommend a YouTube video for me to watch. But who comes to Dubai? Is, is it a local market to go to the school or is it a split between... Dubaians—is that what you call them? Uh, the Dubais, or is there buys Good coming question. in from Cork or whatever? Like, is there is there x amount of like performance tourism because of the Harman name there, or like, what do would you know what the split is?
1: We get we get such a mixture, and it's very seasonal as well. So, like summertime, zero tourists, barely even get any local guys. You know, we get the we get the men who are left here um, because they have to work, and the women have all gone back home to whatever country the expat is from generally that's that's kind of our summer business but our end season it's such a huge mixture you know um like even today i just got off i think i've done five or six calls with i've done czech republic saudi arabia ireland and south africa with players that i teach that are you know in those areas and we're like looking at you know what travel restrictions are like when can we get you in so they really do come from all over the world. Um, we get some groups coming in, you know, during the year who'll come down looking for maybe lessons and playing, especially around about the time of the, the tournaments. So you have the race to Dubai in about uh, two months' time. And then you've got the, the kind of desert swing that kicks off with Abu Dhabi and uh, the Dubai event at the beginning of the year. So, you know, they're kind of the heavy tourist season. So normally in and around those times in Christmas, you actually get a lot of tourists coming across, uh, across here as well. And, you know, luckily with Claude's name on the door, we tend to stand out a bit and get quite a few of those as well.
0: Daily. so for anyone listening, well, A, I might be organizing my own trip based off the photos of the place, but given the times we live in and for maybe set some expectations for people traveling to Dubai, um, you know, what, what, what's the current state of the union in terms of protocols, in terms of like mask wearing and because they're pretty good with like, Chewing gum, like you can't be chewing gum outside. So what, <laughs> what are they like with, with COVID-19, you know?
1: Do you know, they're, they're strict, but they're fair. Like they, the expectations are very clear over here. You know, be safe, wear a mask. Um, and really, as long as you stick to them, you're fine. Like it, life is actually relatively normal. I would say, bar, you're wearing a mask everywhere. And tables are spread out a bit more in restaurants. Um, so really, like from that point of view, there's not a whole lot different as long as you're cautious you know you're not seeing any big parties at the moment obviously you're not seeing as much you know as busy in pubs and things like that but you know life can go on like at the at the moment we can travel around as normal you know we can move in and out of the malls there's no restrictions on that Every, everything is open and as far as golf like because i i barely see anywhere other than the golf course it's even more normal because really once i'm on the golf course we're able to take off the mask and um, as long as you're spread away if you're in a buggy with somebody you obviously have to wear it but other than that you're pretty safe so um yeah here's here's fairly normal we've been pretty lucky the government's done a really good job you know very clear on directives very clear on you know when we've done lockdowns what we need to do and um yeah no it's it's definitely manageable
0: oh good well uh, anyone traveling to dubai better wear your mask everywhere or there is like thousands of dollars of fines uh, on, on the spot, so um, gets yeah, it's <laughs> priced fairly quick. It's not like here in Ireland where, uh, come on, Michael, will you put that back on? You know, um, <laughs> but junior golf—is that where you've kind of specialised yourself in kind of developing a certain age group, or is it just kind of a programme you run there in in the school?
1: I think I've always just loved it. Like even back to when I was working in New Forest, like I remember setting up junior programs there and getting involved with snag and stuff like that on a basic level, but. I suppose the bit that I've really, really fell in love with is kind of teaching the, the kind of better juniors to get even better and try and push on to, to kind of D1 level golf and, and kind of play in some of the bigger events. So, um, yeah, just, you know, just generally coaching in general. I, I like the performance side. I do like the, the higher end of things, um, you know, as far as that's concerned. But I love, I love seeing the kids, kids get better. And I think, you know, at one of my... Junior's just signed with Florida, uh, University of Florida, and I've taught him. He was my very first lesson, very first day in Dubai. So seeing him go from this, you know, little mushroom cut with uh, Ricky Fowler lookalike, you know, dress sense and, you know, for him to sign. And I played him the other day and I'm having to ask him for a two-hole head start so he doesn't completely wipe the floor at me. It's uh, It's weird looking back on it. And, you know, you kind of look at that and you're kind of planning out the next couple of years before he goes to college and... Just really fun. It's fun seeing them develop as people, and it's nice to know that you can have some sort of influence on them, and you know, not just in a golf sense, but even in a in a person sense. You know, if you can help them get a little bit better as a as a person and as a golfer, I think we've done a good job.
0: Definitely. So then begs the question of: are performance driven? So how do you keep kids engaged without getting results based? like nine, eight, nine, 10-year-olds, two to 15, 16-year-olds, you know? I
1: think you challenge them for, your, for their level. And I suppose it's the same with every player. At the end of the day, they all react differently. You know, for some people, competition can be extremely useful. Like some people love to aim for, you know, certain targets, certain goals, certain, you know, people. And for others, it can just create anxiety. And I think it's, it's getting to know the person first. Um we treat them all very differently. Like so, you know, for one I might set very specific year on year. Um for others it might just be, you know, focusing way more on process. Um I genuinely I don't believe there's there's one way. Um I think, you know, at the end of the day everybody's gonna have their own beliefs and things that drive them and things that make them confident and things that diminish their confidence and At the end of the day, as a coach, I think, you know, coach versus teacher, a coach really is able to figure that out and fine tune their coaching style to suit what might actually suit the player rather than this is what you need to do. This is how you swing the golf club.
0: That's a great approach and something I think, you know, I don't know if it's GOI level or maybe it's more to a club level, because I think that one of the first questions here anyway um, is when kids come in, oh, what you shoot? You know, how many, how many yeah. points you had you know yeah. instead of very simply you know did you enjoy that now which is a very different way you know if if a kid goes oh yeah i had 46 points then it turns into a, a results conversation over oh yeah the rabbits on the 13th are really cute like you know there's different conversations to be had yeah. um but the juniors who, who are competitive in our results space you're traveling you're doing a bit of travel with them aren't you
1: we do, um, well, I do a little bit with some of them. So again, if we get the opportunity to go places, we will. Um, we've started coaching the Saudi national team as well. So a lot of the kind of, um, I suppose, younger members of the the men's panel are kind of in that age bracket as well. And and we do a little bit of traveling with them. So yeah, honestly, just whatever they need. You know, we try and be as as open as possible. We went to the, the King Hammond Trophy with two of our juniors last year, which is like... Um, kind of a pro and an amateur um event that's on in Bahrain every year um so yeah we we basically just cover ground as much as we can like I say whatever they need to improve and whenever they need us it's it's just pick up your bags and go really it doesn't uh it doesn't really matter where or when it's just kind of fit your schedule around them but like I say that's the fun part of the job you know being able to go out there and and see the guys compete um as you can probably tell, although your podcast won't, but on camera, I've got a little bit of sunburn from spending six hours following one of my juniors around yesterday, as they, uh, or two of my juniors, as they played a, a scratch final. Um, but you just love it. You love seeing them compete. And uh, I think that's really what, what it comes down to.
0: So when yourself and Fint Bonner meet at these events, do you talk about me or do you talk about your junior golfers on the day? Do you get to meet him often? Because he's up in St. Andrews doing very similar work to what you're doing, it in completely different climates. He probably has four layers on today. Um, <laughs> do you get to meet Fintan often? I haven't actually bumped into him. I've sent him a message the
1: odd time, but um, no, I haven't I haven't actually physically bumped into him at an event yet. Um, but I trained with Fenton way back. Fintan was in my year in, uh, in the PJ, as was Scott, uh, Scott Wilson, who works with him, or I think still works with him. Um, and yeah no, he seems to be seems to be absolutely flying up there again they have an amazing facility up there um, and what they're doing with some of the kids is is phenomenal so it's nice to see see kind of some of my my fellow pros doing so well as well
0: Is there a view to come back to Ireland or is it Harmon for life is there a view to come back and maybe a ring a finch and say come here let's come back and set up you know your own the the, the academy the Irish players deserve you know Maybe not I've, in me, but the great within me is clear already, you know, in the GUI Academy. I
1: have, but, you know, I have People from Kilfrenora don't
0: get to use that, you know. <laughs> I have, you know,
1: I've, I've always wanted to do something in Ireland, uh, whether I'm still based out here or not. It's always, I've always got this romantic idea of having uh, an academy in Ireland where, you know, you can go and teach during the summer and base yourself there rather than being in 50 degrees here. And um, but short term, there's nothing specific on the cards uh I love working with the Harmons. you know Claude and Butch have been phenomenal to me, and i I'd, I'd pretty much call Justin a Harmon at this stage as well and um it's very hard to move away from you know their their family you know, and I think that's the way they they treat us as well you know every instructor I suppose that works with with Claude and Butch you know effectively become part of the family they they open their doors to us, and you know they're they're so kind and generous with just about everything they do so um it's a very, very difficult thing to ever picture moving away from, you know, I'll always have, uh, have Harmon uh, kind of embedded in me, whether it be, you know, the the kind of the way I look at the golf swing or, you know, the way I kind of approach the game. But um, like I said, I can compliment, you know, Claude, Butch and, and JP enough for the, the help they've given me over the years.
0: Definitely. Now, we'll take it offline because I don't want anybody else to steal the idea, but we'll have a chat afterwards about something you could do May, June, July, August. The Paddy um, Golf Academy. <laughs> oh, I've never put my name on something like that. Oh, man, the tax manager is straight after me. Um, have you any particular memorable story? Or maybe it could be from a dinner with the Harmons, or from Carragolf or a particular lesson or, you know, Getting a closer to the pin, than Gavin mining him in January when he's over in Dubai for a couple of months. <laughs> Have you anything like that, Faris? Gavin's got plenty of impressive shots that he, he
1: likes to show off during the uh, during the summer months. I think now, seeing as you brought up Gavin, I might as well give you one with him. We were uh, we were teaching a, a junior group, one of our, our better junior groups. Uh, short game one day, and Gavin was just on our short game area pitching away. Um, and you know, hitting the amazing wedge shots that you see Gavin Moinier hitting, and, yeah, just just <laughs> perfect. So, um, and anyway, he asked Gavin to come over, and he, uh, I said to Michael, "Would you be able to explain, you know, maybe two or three shots for us? Like, you know, a normal pitch." I think I asked for a flop shot and then a bunker shot, and uh, sure enough, he stands up and he goes. Uh, I said, "You know, what would you do here for a normal pitch shot?" And he stands up and. So, oh, well, I just do this. And he hits this like low fizzy one into about six inches of the hole. I'm like, all right, is there anything you do like? He's like, oh, well, I kind of put the ball forward. And I'm like, so that's, that's it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's it. So, anyhow, we bring him down and he does a flop shot. I short sighted him over a bunker. I thought, right, I'll try and nail him here. And, you know, short sighted him over a bunker shot. And I go, what do you do here? And he goes, oh, well, I just try and do this. And he described, it, described one thing from the shot and hit it to a foot. And I'm like, that's, that's all you're giving me. Just like, just do that. Yeah, 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 that's it. And he goes, sorry, I'm not great at, at explaining them. You know, I know how to play them, but, you know, I can't explain them. I'm like, all right, well, let's finish with a bunker shot, are you? He goes, oh, this would be perfect. I know exactly how to explain this. I, I did a lesson on this a couple of weeks ago. So, and he, Gav gets into the bunker and he gives this big description and tells us all about what he's working on and what he's doing. And then I think he hit it about five feet in front of him into the lip. Completely duffed it. And he was like, Do "You know what? I think I'll just stick to playing the shots rather than the... <laughs> So I always remember that one. That was a good one from Gavin. In fairness,
0: that's a decent one. I had him on. I had him on um, a few weeks ago, and I asked him, "How would you hit? You know, f- fizzing it in from like forty yards?" And he was like, oh, "I just like, move it back and swing fast." You know, yeah, yeah so that's yeah. what I've been trying. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's a bit more to it, but yeah, it definitely helped me. It's like, because I'd be a serious decelerator of the golf ball when it comes to tipping. I was like, just what would Gav do? Swing fast, okay. Um, even that tip has helped me, Mr. Moyn So, thank you. Um, Jamie, quick for a Q&A, right? So, whatever comes into your hey. head is the answer. What would your walk on song be?
1: Walk on song, probably A C D C shoots a thrill.
0: Hey this Spotify playlist is gonna be ripping after this season. Tell yeah, some really it. good that's tunes good on it. Some really good tunes on it now. Jim or Pizza?
1: Oh, probably Jim recently, but my heart would definitely go for pizza.
0: Hat visor or a Keelan Rafferty Bucket hat?
1: Purely hat. Has to be hat.
0: Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup?
1: Um I'd probably go Happy Gilmore.
0: Walker cart. Walk definitely walk. Maybe not. Maybe not in Dubai. I would have accepted a cart answer there because it's like forty-five. It's like melting degrees. But fair play to you. Um, win the Masters or win the Open?
1: Open, definitely.
0: 100%. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Player practice?
1: I'll play. Hundred percent play. Why the Open? Um, it's just a love of links. It was brilliant watching Shane last year. Couldn't, couldn't have had a better winner. You know what I mean? It. Uh, I think that it. It just every Irish person was behind them, just coming down that stretch, and you know it's just something special about it.
0: Absolutely was. I have curtailed the old Q and A because I have more of a story type um, question. So it's only been recently this has come on stream, but it's the end. It's the end of the day. Of lessons in Portstewart, Paul Harmon School Academy. There you've you've the aloe vera on after your particular days out there. Um, and you're going to dinner that night. You can have six people at it. Anyone you want—celebrity, golfer, dead, alive, the wife, the boyfriend, anyone. <laughs> who are the six people?
1: Oh, that's a good question. You didn't prepare me for that one. Um, six people. I would probably pick. I'd probably pick a couple of close friends. So you know, maybe probably my my three groomsmen would definitely get an invite. Um, so that'd be Ryan Donahue, who actually works up in Port Marnix. Lindsay Boyd who is in Guernsey Golf Club and then Gary Cullen. And then I would probably go, probably Claude and Tiger Woods. And we'll be my next two and that'll be, what have I got, one more?
0: You've one left.
1: One left, then Brooks. Brooks is good fun on a, on a night.
0: Is he? I'd, he say is. He's the, he's. I'd say he's a serious sense of humor behind it all because he just plays, I think he plays the, the, the persona the media gave him. I think he plays a perfect. I think i say
1: he's hilarious. Brooks is a gent and he's great fun as
0: well. Deadly. Jamie, thank you so much for your time and hopefully see you in Ireland soon.
1: I look forward to it. We'll get a game in.
0: What a great chat that was with Jamie McConnell, Director of Instruction at the Claude Harmon Academy for Golf in Dubai. It's definitely on my hit list now when this COVID thing kind of dissipates. And uh, we can get over there and enjoy some of the best facilities on the planet. And if you know me, you know I like a good facility. I think something I took away from that chat with Jamie was always take on the challenge. So when he was with Caragolf, yes, it was challenging, but my God, it was one of the best learning curves in his life that he's able to take forward and apply now every single day in what he's doing and what he's loving over in Dubai and as well as that, stay modest. So he's surrounded by some of the best brains and minds in golf. He's included. Um, and he's bringing all of that to us on a platform that I only discovered during the week, which is his YouTube channel. There are some fantastic chats there with Claude Harmon, with Butch Harmon and all the greats. So if you don't subscribe there, you're missing out. Do, if you like these podcasts, subscribe here uh, to the podcast on PlayTarrest Golf, wherever you are listening to this, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. Maybe your car found it. But uh, thank you all for pressing play. Please do share it with your family and friends. And if you want some seed golf balls, just reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at patty underscore golf. If you see me shanking them at the range or at a course near you, let me know that you want a golf ball or two for the kids, for the wife, for yourself. I generally have one or two to spare for you to try them out. And if you are waiting just to try them out, just go buy them. They're cheap. They're half the price. It's a no-brainer. But, yeah, thank you all for pressing play. Uh, We'll see you again next week when we have one of my... The chats are just getting better and better, aren't they? Well, they are for me. And next week is a doozy. This time from the other side of the world, from America. A little place called Wake Forest. You do the guessing game. All right, folks. Until next week, until we see you again soon, I'm Paddy. Enjoy the rest of this back music now. I'll leave it on for an extra 20 seconds while the next podcast in your list loads. Bye now.